Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. So Father, we're here and we ask, you would sustain everybody who's in the fire right now. You would be with them. There would be another person in the fire. You, you would be with them as the waters, they feel like it's going to come in at any point and it's just going to be over. You'd be with them. Because people are facing health stuff and family things and marriage things and kids and jobs. And my prayer for these folks here is that you would help them to know they are not alone. And today, in this moment, they would have faith to count the joy for the battle that they're in. They would know that you're up to something. Even if it doesn't feel like it or look like it, they would know that you're up to something. You're at work and you're with them. Father, I pray that as we um, come to a time where we're going to open your word, you would speak to us, your people, because we're here and we're gathered and we need to hear from our Father. You're a good father, the one who's chosen us, not forsaken us. You're the one who's with us. And now speak to your people because we need it. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thank you, thank you. Uh, my name is Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you're a guest with us, uh, I think Kyle mentioned this already, but there's a little card in the front there, a communication card. We'd love for you to fill that out. Drop it in the offering plate at the end of the service. If you have any prayer requests as a church family or anything else that we can help with, any information you want to give us, we would love, love to hear from you on that. Uh, kiddos, kindergarten through third grade. Miss Lawrence back there waiting on you. Have a good time at JAM. Should have mentioned this earlier, uh, but grateful for Jordan and Tiffany Johnson being down, leading. Frank's out uh, this week, and so thanks for uh, being here and leading. <laughs> I wonder what else I could do. <laughs> that was weird. Those of you who are wondering, uh, that doesn't normally happen. Okay. Uh, all right. So if you have a Bible this morning, um, we're going to be in Psalm 68. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to go grab one of those. And if you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up um, that app and find our live event. Track along with the um, scriptures and sermon notes and um, all of that stuff. Uh, grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, today is Orphan Sunday, and uh, it, is, it is one of those things where we pause once a year to, um, as I've said many, many times before, um, to raise the flag for the cause of the orphan and to rally us as God's people to that cause. Um, and uh, we will end today by saying this. Go ahead and give the end of the sermon away. Uh, we don't do this because we feel guilty. And we don't do this because we um, fear something. We don't do this because we're shamed into it. We don't do this because we're... In, 
manipulated into it, none of those things. Um, we do this because, uh, not because we need a cause. We, we do this because this is what Jesus is up to. Therefore, we're going to do the things that Jesus said uh, are good to do. And so, uh, thank you. Uh, many of you have brought shoes already. I see that's, that's a whole lot. Um, and there's more. Um, coming, I'm sure. Uh, we, we just want to step into the things that Jesus uh, is doing. And so that's, that's why uh, we do what we do here. Uh, if you walk out of here guilty or shamed or manip- feeling like you've been manipulated, that's not our intent at all. That's not, we don't do that around here. Um, we believe God calls us to things and we get the opportunity to respond. So um, we're going to be Psalm 68. You ready? Uh, I'm going to start in verse one. I'm not sure this is in the app, but uh, just listen. God shall arise and his enemies shall be scattered. And those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. If you have your Bible and you're looking there, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the covenant name for God. That's the great I am or Jehovah or Yahweh. His name is the great I am. So exult before him. We're going to pause right there for just a second uh, and talk about God's power today. Uh, Why? Because I think God's power is a good thing to think about when we think about Orphan Sunday in particular. And what I want to say uh, from the get-go is that God uses his power for good, and that's praiseworthy. So anytime we see something powerful, we are inclined to praise it or at least stand in awe of it. Um, And so this is true kind of throughout all sectors of our lives, all spheres of our lives. Um, We see it. For instance, on TV, um, uh, when we have like America's Got Talent. Anybody America's Got Talent people? You don't have to be ashamed, people. I mean, there's no, yes, you like America's Got Talent. They do some whacked out stuff on there, right? I mean, they do some really cool things. There's choirs. There's like talent, talent people. There's magicians who like spin around and shoot arrows. I mean, just amazing stuff. Uh, there are all sorts of things. And when, when something goes down that's pretty amazing like that, pretty powerful, when they do something, what do they do? All the judges are like, <gasps> stand and the crowd goes wild, right? Uh, they, they, they applaud. They give praise to what they uh, deem powerful or amazing. Uh, another one, the voice, it's on right now, I'm pretty sure. The voice, anybody voice people? Does anybody have a TV? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm striking these illustrations forever. Uh, so the voice, if you're not familiar, there's four chairs, four judges. The blind auditions are the ones where the chairs are turned around. The gal or guy comes out and sings. Um, and then, uh, you know, if they really like what they hear, they hit the button and they turn around. But then there are later rounds where, um, where you know, they get to singing and, and uh, maybe in a battle or some sort of face-off or whatever they call them. And inevitably, at some point, when one of the judges is really moved by what's going on on stage, the power, if you will, coming off of the stage, what do the judges do? They stand up, they clap, they dance along, whatever, just like some of you do in your own living rooms as you're watching. Am I right? Amen. A couple of you. That's good. I'm good. Glad you can admit that. Uh, so, uh, when we when we see something that's powerful or or discern something that's powerful, that's amazing. We we are inclined to praise it. And God, I mean, just look at the power that that He sets out here. The psalmist sets out. That's why He praises. God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate Him shall flee before Him. 
as smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away as wax melts before the fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous, they shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. So sing to God. There's the praise, right? Here's all this power. Sing to God. Sing praise to his name. Lift up a song to him who does what? Who rides through the deserts. God just moves in places where nobody wants to go. God moves. His name is the Lord. His name is the great I am. Um, exult before him. So God is a powerful God. And here's, here's the, the kind of takeaway from this little first section. God uses his power for good. Um, when we see something that we deem powerful, we praise it. And here's the truth is that we all want um, to see the good guys win in the end. I mean, that's just a truism. Uh, Star Wars nerds, anybody with me? Okay. We all hated the Empire Strikes Back, right? (laughs) Because the good guys were struggling at that point. We didn't like the Falcon flying off and Han Solo, the storyline. If you haven't seen it yet, there's no spoiler. It came out like 30 years ago, okay? (laughs) So don't be like, spoiler? No, 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 uh uh-uh. We thought, man, that's the most creative of the movies and best shot, blah, 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 blah. And we can't wait for Return of the Jedi. So we all want the good guys to win. This is, this is what we have here, that God uses his power and he doesn't just like flex, and, and, but he uses it for good. This is a good thing. We all want good guys to win in the end. The enemies flee, the bad guys, the wicked, they melt like wax before the Lord. Everybody has to bow down. We see this and we go, man, this is a really, really, really good thing. And as we work through the next couple of verses here, what we're going to find is uh, the, 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 the more we think about and the more we see the psalmist think about his power, the more praiseworthy that power becomes. The more praiseworthy God becomes for his power. So God uses his power for good. And, and the second part of that phrase, uh, if we could summarize the sermon in a sentence, it would be God uses his power for good for the defenseless. So look at verse Five. Okay, so if you hit verse four, right? He rides through the deserts. God is amazing. I am expecting, I am expecting, if I'm, if I'm coming up on verse five, I'm expecting like, and the seas part before him and volcanoes erupt wherever he goes. I mean, like, I'm just thinking like, it's just going to like, like power, 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 right? And you just have this moment where you're like, God, God is amazing. The universe just spins at his command. That's what I'm expecting. And then look at what happens in verse five. Father of the fatherless. And protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. He sets or settles the solitary or lonely in a home. So here's the summary sentence. God uses his power for good for the defenseless. God uses his power for good for the defenseless. And so, uh, here's, here's what, we, what we want to have in our minds goes something like this. Um, who, who are the defenseless? Let's talk about that. Well, he names three particular here. Uh, the father of the fatherless, the protector of the widows, the fatherless widows, and those who are lonely at the beginning of, there of verse 6. 
um, he settles the solitary or the lonely in home. So we've got these three things. The father uh, uh, of the fatherless, uh, the protector of the widows, and he settles the solitary, the lonely. He, he, uh, he is using his power for the sake of the defenseless, for those who have no status, no resources, no capability to change their situation. In early days, in Bible days, um, this is not as much now, so we kind of have to shift our mindset to understand what he's saying. Uh, there wasn't a, a, a social safety net. There wasn't anything like that. If a kid didn't have parents to feed that child, that child went without food. If a widow didn't have a, a, a enlarged family or a, a uh, extended family to step into her world and provide for her and make sure that she had somewhere to sleep, she had to sleep on the streets. And so they, they went hungry and they went cold and on and on. I mean, this is, it is not a good place. And yet God steps in with his power, the same power that makes the mountains melt and the, the, like wax and the enemies flee before him and the one who rides through the desert, God steps in with that power and goes, I'm the father of the fatherless and the protector of the widows and those lonely ones who wonder, oh, I'm going to set them in a home. That's what he does. He gives them family. So those who have no resources, that's who we're talking about when we talk about the defenseless. And so here's the follow-up then. Why is this praiseworthy? Well, it goes something like this. Um, when people with power and resources use their power and resources on behalf of those who don't have power and resources, we all go, man, that's a good thing right there. Like we go, this is a really positive thing. When the mighty use their power on behalf of the vulnerable, we say, this is really, really, really good. Everybody can agree with that. Just a couple of um, situations from our, uh, our world, just picked up right off the internet here. Um, this, um, anybody track this story? This was shown around multiple times, but um, this is a young lady at her senior prom. Doesn't look like it's going very well for her, does it? <laughs> well, it's going great. She's a beautiful young lady. She lost her dad in the line of duty. And so these officers and several others, there's more pictures out there, um, stepped in and escorted her to prom. Isn't that amazing? Except for the guy wearing, like, putting the shades on his eyebrows, which I'm like, that's weird. All right. But I mean, like... Outside of that, like, this is a really cool story, right? This is an amazing story where we say, you are a person who has power and resources, and you didn't leverage that for your own good. What did you leverage it for? You leveraged it for the good of those without. Here are men who said, we're not going to let this girl go unescorted. And so we're going to step into her life and do this. And we go, that's a cool story right there. Share. Uh, let's, let's ratchet it up a notch. I mean, because when the mighty use their power, this is a good thing, right? Um, this is uh, when the, uh, President Obama was in the White House. Uh, this little kid's name, he's three. I want to make sure uh, I get his name correct. Uh, it is Jacob Philadelphia. His dad was assigned to the National Security Council uh, and was rotating off as is typical. Uh, they took a picture with the president in the Oval Office there for his time and his service there. And uh, the, uh, the dad said, Mr. President, I'm so sorry, but uh, my kid has a question for you. And um, the older kid said, why did you cancel the F-22 project? which is a funny question to ask the White House if you're 11 years old. The three-year-old, though, said, uh, Mr. President, does your hair feel like mine? Uh, 
So the leader of the free world said, you should feel it. And then you can see, bows before this little guy. Um, the story from the office said, uh, the kid was like, oh yeah, it kind of looks like mine. And President Obama goes, touch it, dude. <laughs> so he gets in line, and grabs his head, you know. It does feel like mine. Here's the leader of the free world with nuclear codes feet from him. Bowing to the curiosity of a three-year-old boy. Who honestly had never seen someone in that place of power whose skin was his color. When the mighty use their power on behalf of the vulnerable, we say that's really good. So listen, when the mighty use their power on behalf of the vulnerable, we say that's good. When the almighty uses his power on behalf of the vulnerable, we say that is amazing. That's what we say. That's what we say. That, that's why it's so praiseworthy. Because not only does God just have power riding through the desert, doing the things that God does, he uses that power for good. And we all like the good guys to win in the end. But he uses that power for good, for the benefit, for on behalf of those who are, um, those who are defenseless. And when God does that, when the Almighty does that, we go, that is amazing. That is praiseworthy. And then just to push it up, yet one more notch. How he does this makes it even more praiseworthy. I'll just give you three words to think about here. Um, first of all, he allies himself with them. Did you see that in the text? Verse 5, father of the fatherless. He didn't say, I'm going to be a caretaker of the orphan. What did he say? I'm the father of the fatherless. Do you hear the difference? I'm not just going to make sure that they're okay. I'm going to engage myself with them. I'm the father of the fatherless. He allies himself with them. When Jesus was on the planet, who did we find him hanging out with? Those who were most vulnerable, those who were most rejected by society, those who were uh, uh, kind of pushed to the edges and to the margins. That's where we found Jesus at work. And that's where we found him. So he allies himself with him. But he doesn't just say, hey, I'm on your side here. He, he goes a, a, another step. And this is what we see in the text. It's not just, I'm going to be an advocate on behalf of the orphan. We'll talk about that in just a second. It's that this, I am allied with him. I am the father of the fatherless. I am identifying myself with them. Jesus said this. Uh, and he was telling a parable, Matthew 25. And he says this. Uh, it's about sheep and goats. And he goes, man, I was hungry and you fed me. I was uh, naked and you clothed me. I was in prison. You came and visited me. I was sick and you've, you, you, you uh, took care of me. And the folks who were standing before him were like, uh, Jesus, we didn't know that it was you. And he goes, hey, if you did it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. That's what he says. You've done it to me. So he so identifies with uh, that, that, that group, that, that powerless group, so to speak. That he says, if you've done it to them, you've done it to me. So he didn't just ally with them in the sense of I'm on your side, but he steps in and goes, no, no, I'm right here. I'm the father of the fatherless. Secondly, he um, advocates, uh, he advocates um, for them. He advocates for them. And so I, I just pulled out, uh, there, there, 
The, the point of this exercise that we're about to embark on is simply to say, this shows up all over the Bible. There are verses all over the Bible about this. I just pulled one uh, from, from kind of each section. This is Exodus chapter 22. So just for context, Exodus chapter 20 is where the Ten Commandments come in. And in the same block of teaching, we get Exodus 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or uh, fatherless child. Don't do that, God says. Don't do it. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. So let's just time out here before we finish the verse. Uh, There are some things that God gets fired up about, right? I mean, there's some things that lights him up. Apparently, one of them is when orphans and widows get mistreated. Don't do that, God says. Otherwise, my wrath will burn. That's a good parenting strategy. I think we ought to try that with our kids. Like, don't do that. Why not? My wrath will burn. (laughs) I'm rolling out out this week. I'll let you know how it goes. (laughs) This next part, I'm not going to roll out. My wrath will burn. And I will kill you with the sword. (laughs) Not going to do that part. But how seriously does God take it? It, it, Listen, it is a life and death issue for him. My wrath will burn. And your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. So the very thing that you were mistreating them for, taking advantage of them for, I'm going to make happen to those of you. And you're like, oh God, that's not very loving. That's not very nice. And he's like, hey, there are things that I care about that I'm not going to let go on forever. That's from the law, the the part of the Bible called the law, Exodus. Uh, Here's one from the prophets, Isaiah. This is right in the middle of a passage about how our worship um, and the actions that we take go hand in hand. We can't just come in and sing songs, Isaiah says. We can't just look at words on a screen and clap at the right time and go, yes, thank you, God. Uh, Like there has to be something that shifts inside of us for it to be true worship. And he says, so yes, worship. I think that's really good, but learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice, a sense of rightness to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Isaiah, Uh, this is from the book of Proverbs. So we've got the law, we've got the prophets. Here's the wisdom literature. Open your mouth for the mute. Why? Because they can't speak for themselves. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Step into that is what he says. Law, prophets, wisdom literature. And I mean, we could pull out verse upon verse upon verse upon verse. And the pushback is, well, yeah, but we're a New Testament people. I'm so glad you brought that up, James. This is which is in the New Testament. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. So, you want to know what Christianity looks like in its most pristine form? Here's what it says. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To live, and and those two things aren't separate, as if like it's a dichotomy, this and this. No, no, those two things go together. Why? Because nobody in the world visits orphans and widows in their distress. Have you noticed this? Like, nobody, nobody just does this. There has to be something inside of them. So we keep ourselves unstained from the world in some sense by visiting orphans and widows in their distress. James. 
So we've got law, we've got prophets, we've got uh, the testimony of the wisdom literature, we've got teaching in the New Testament. How about testimony from early saints? How about that? Early church people? Polycarp was one of the um, early pastor types uh, um, in, the, in the church in the um, late first century, early second century. Uh, the presbyters, it says, for their part, the elders of the church, for their part must be compassionate, merciful to all, turning back those who have gone astray, visiting all the sick, not neglecting a widow, an orphan, or a poor person, but always aiming uh, at what is supposed to be is honorable in the sight of God um, and of people. So the early church has this as a part of just who they are. This is what I mean. Like, we're not just saying, hey, this is a cause that we need to get behind. That's not what we're saying. Oh, like, this is what Jesus is doing. And so guess what? We're people who follow Jesus. So where are we going to follow him to? To these kind of places, to these kind of ministries, to these kinds of expressions of what Christianity looks like. One more quote. This is from uh, a book called Christian uh, Charity in the Ancient Church, Gerhard uh, Ulhorn. Uh, and he says this, when we first meet the mention of adoption and bringing up of foundlings, because they were, as you can imagine, literally found, uh, this work appears uh, not, don't miss that, not as a novelty, but as one, don't, that third line, not as a novelty, but as one long practiced. They were well-versed in this. It's true that the heathen uh, also used to take care of exposed children, but for the purpose of bringing them up as uh, gladiators or prostitutes or to use them in their own service. So yeah, we'd find a kid, we'd make sure that he got fed or she got fed, and then we would uh, use them for our own gain or service in some way. But, But Christians brought up the children whom they took charge of for the Lord, for a respectable uh, and industrious life. It's just part of who we are. So here God advocates in the law, in the prophets, in the wisdom literature, in the teaching of the New Testament, and in the spirit-filled lives of people in the early church. And so we go, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is how God has called us to be and to do. So he advocates for them, but he also acts in support of them at the end of, or excuse me, at the beginning of verse 6 in Psalm 68. God settles or places the lonely or the solitary in a home, in a family. He acts in support of them. He takes the lonely and he places them in homes, places that are firm, places that are stable, places that are safe, a place where they can grow and, listen, where they can grow and have a voice and be heard by somebody. When they cry, somebody will hear them. So, so God acts on their behalf. And this is, this is a double blessing. It's a blessing for the kids, yes, but it's also a blessing for the families, yes. There's a couple of um, just kind of practical questions that come up, and I just want to address them real quickly. Uh, because God acts on their behalf. So, so is this then foster care and adoption? Like, is this a second best option? Uh, my, my answer to that is no. It's one of the ways that God writes the redeeming story of the gospel into the fabric of our broken society. Can I back that truck up and say it one more time? Because I didn't say it that good in the 830 service. People say, isn't this kind of a second best? Like, is this a plan B? My response goes something like this. Listen, it is an amazing way. I don't think it's a plan B. I think it is an amazing way that God writes the redemptive thread of the gospel into the brokenness of our society. That's what he does. People say, well, isn't it going to be hard? Yes. Yes. Does anybody raise any kid whatsoever that it's not hard? 
especially when there's trauma involved and other things that are, I mean, just hard. But good news, God allies with them and he advocates for them and he acts in support of them. And, and I just, and great news, he acts in support of parents too. 68, verse 19. Look down. I don't, I don't think it's in the, in the app. But look, look at 68, verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Every day, God bears you up. As a parent, as somebody who gets up and goes to work, as somebody who's married, as somebody who's not perfect, he daily bears us up. So he acts on their behalf, and he acts on your behalf too, giving you the strength to live out the things that are difficult. So if, if we're going to be a biblical people, and we are going to be um, Christian in the best sense of that, then if Jesus allies with them, advocates for them, and acts on their behalf, guess what we get to do? We get to ally with them. We... We get to express our allegiance to them with things like shoes. It's something everybody can do. We're going to be collecting them for a while. So if you like, oh, doing it all for God, this, we're going to be collecting them for a while. We can ally ourselves with them. But the primary way is not to check a box by bringing a bag of shoes. The primary way is to let your heart turn and say, I see you. I see you. Secondly, we have to advocate for them. Our allegiance has to turn into advocacy in some manner. You have to let your presence be felt. And so uh, back there at the back table, Galveston County um, uh, Court Appointed Special Advocates, CASA, Galveston County CASA is back there. Have, you can have conversations about what it looks like to step into the life of a young one who needs somebody to be their voice um, to advocate for them in this in a broken crazy system that is our legal system you can advocate for them uh, some of you want to have conversations about fostering uh, and you may at that point as soon as somebody says be a foster parent you may like not step on the brake you may like slam on the brake there are levels of that, that you can step into. And Pathways has all sorts of information about there. So, uh, kind of, th- this level up here is, it, you just, you get certified to babysit foster kids. You know why? Because the foster parents who do this 24-7 occasionally need to go out to dinner by themselves. And it's not hard. It's not. But you get certified to be a babysitter. Uh, some of you may want to take the next step and get certified to, be, to do respite care, which in the elementary version of this is like overnight babysitting. If they have to leave and go to a wedding or whatever, like you are certified to take care of them. Some of you may need to take the further step and go, hey, I think we need to open our home and open a place in our home for a foster child. Is it easy? No, it's not. But God writes redemptive themes into the brokenness of our society in that way. Uh, some of you uh, need to uh, pray about what it looks like to adopt. Uh, if you're looking at um, stateside adoption, uh, Pathways can kind of help you uh, think about what that looks like. Some of you need to think about international adoption. Uh, we'll see a video here in a little bit with some great kids who are up for adoption. Uh, and I'll be over here uh, with some material there. You need to advocate for them. Your heart, your allegiance has to turn to advocacy. And lastly, you need to act in support. Of them. You need to jump out and do something. 
You can let your life touch theirs. And when you foster, when you adopt, you change the world by changing your family tree and theirs. Um, there are 2,000, uh, as of September 30th, 2019, there are 2,000, I think it was like 2008 or something like that, but 2,000 kids in foster care in Harris and Galveston counties, and 200 of them were not placed. 10%. And what if you took one? What if you took one and did that? And the question comes, this is right. I mean, it's a good question. It's a fair question. Can I love them like my own kid? I'll say this uh, as a personal story, and then I'm going to be quiet. Um, There was a point in our first adoption where uh, we we were in bed one night. My wife cracked her laptop open, checking email last thing before, and we get a picture from China of our oldest daughter. We had sent over a care package, and she was sitting there holding the pillow that we had sent. And I threw the covers back and got up. She's like, what are you doing? I'm going to buy plane tickets right now. I'm just going to go to China, like this moment, and just press my nose against the glass until it's done. Because in that moment right there, divine heart surgery. All of a sudden, I had room to love that one. God does this. He allies with them, advocates for them, acts on their behalf. And he will do that for you too. He will do that for you too.